The views and opinions expressed by any hosts or guests of WJMS Radio do not reflect the beliefs of its owners or associates. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to WJMS Radio or the show hosts whose words, advice, and or opinions appear from or on our website or on air. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Are we on the air? You're listening to WJMSRadio.com. Jam. This chick is a sick individual. You're tuned in to Sound Off with your girl Jams right here on WJMSRadio.com. There is no competition. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Sound Off right here on WJMS Radio. I'm so excited to be with you guys today, and we're live. Oh, it's been a long time since I've been live. It feels good. So I am having a really, really good idea, or had a really good idea, and I wanted to bring it to air. And So that's what this show is going to be today. Before we get into that, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping, of course. Number one, you can watch the show live on Facebook uh, through the WJMS Radio actual show page. Um, or you can watch us through the group page as well. So those two options there, I'll be sharing this out through my personal page as well. You can also stream it live from TuneIn. If you go on the uh, TuneIn app and search for WJMS Radio, you can add us as a favorite and it will stream there as well. I am also going to be taking comments from all of those different platforms. So please feel free to ask questions, comment, you know, raise your hand, whatever. Just give me a moment to, to work them into conversation, but I will be addressing everybody's questions and comments as we go through. Um, and I have a really, really great group of people here with me today. The topic is teachers and COVID. There's been a lot of talk about reopening schools come September. Um, obviously, we all know that the last half of this year has been virtual learning, digital learning, and just abbreviated ways of learning for all the different types of schools. And so I kind of put feelers out to the people that I know in my network to say, let's talk about it and let's have a roundtable discussion about what's going on are, um, you know, what are some of the things you're doing to improve your classroom and, and things like that. Um, but I had to split the conversation into two pieces because it is such a massive conversation to have with all of the different grades. So this is part one of the conversation, which is going to focus mostly on elementary school side of, of education. Um, and then the second half of the conversation will be your middle school, high school and college, which is also a beast of its own, you know, different uh, nature. So I am going to do a quick introduction for the folks that are with me today, and then I'm going to give them an opportunity to you know, give a little bit more of an in-depth bio if they want to give a little bit of a teaching history. Before we jump in, as a disclaimer, I have asked them to all not share the location from which they teach, um, not the school. You don't have to share the school or the actual physical location. Just talk about the grade that you're in. I don't want anybody getting in trouble or violating any kind of codes that are, you know, in your school handbooks or anything like that. So please feel free to take out any information that you feel is necessary to maintain the integrity of your career. And so I want to jump in and give everybody their, their introductions, of course. First person on my, my upper right-hand corner here is Corey, and she's a fifth grade teacher. And so she's got an undergraduate degree in elementary education and a master's degree in curriculum studies. She's also got a certificate in urban education, and she's been at the same school for the last 10 years. So she's got some serious history uh, with the school, and she can probably talk a lot about how things have changed from when she started to where she is now. And more recently, she's taken on leadership roles, including organizing school-wide events and trips, representing uh, the building in district-wide cultural proficiency cadres, 
and sitting on school reopening committees. So she has a lot to talk about. And we're going to dive into a lot of those different sections, especially the school wide events and some of the other things that she's uh, sort of sitting on. Right below her is Stan. He's an elementary music teacher. Really interesting because some of these extracurricular activities are the ones that are getting hit the most heavily, especially in terms of social distancing and stuff like that. Um, so he is from Fort Myers, Florida. He's got a bachelor's degree in music performance from Lincoln University. Um, shout out LU. I know a lot of folks that went there. His parents were his teachers and his instructors at school helped him open into who he was or who he is today. And so that with the combination of his love for music um, sort of made it an easy transition for him to be a music teacher. Um, he's grown up in the Church of Christ and he started singing in kindergarten. In middle school, he was playing the trombone and he was in a dance group. So he's got a musical background for sure. Naturally, his teaching practice has transitioned into, you know, preaching, which is, you know, very interesting as well. So we're going to dive into that a little also because church is also affected by all of this COVID and stuff that's happening. Um, and so every day he just aims to make a difference and break generational curses by providing knowledge and, you know, speaking to anybody who's willing to learn. And so last but not least, right below me is Alicia, and she is a third grade teacher. She's also a poet and a published author um, and a good friend of mine, of course, too. Um, she's been an educator. She's from West Philly. Um, from as young as six years old, she's had this ability to write in, in amazing sentences and stories. And so she got her uh, print communications degree from Arcadia University yeah, yeah. in 2009. And that's when her professional writer journey began. From there, she worked as a freelance writer. She's led writing workshops. She's volunteered for five years at Treehouse Books. Um, and she's also um, part of a, or she's, she's received her master's degree in writing studies. And once she did her thesis, uh, that's when she sort of got the motivation to publish her first book called Blacklisted, which is a really amazing book. So if you haven't gotten a chance to check that out, please do. Um, and so now she currently resides in uh, someplace I'm not going to tell you guys right now because I don't want to give that away. Um, but she has moved from Philadelphia and she's still she's still in an urban setting and she's still teaching. Um, and she is a third grade teacher where she is currently located. So all three of you guys, thank you guys so much for being with me today. I appreciate your willingness to open up and talk about this. I realize that this can be a little bit of a, a touchy subject, especially given some of the rules and regulations in these schools. But I'm going to give each of you guys kind of the opportunity to maybe share, I guess, when your schools first shut down, um, you know, how soon was your school able to get back up and running with online education? Um, and did you guys have any major hiccups? Um, and how were you able to transition as a teacher from in-person learning with an entire lesson plan to now having to translate all of that into a digital lesson plan and doing virtual learning with your students? So Corey, I guess I'll start with you since you're right on the right-hand side of me. Yeah, uh, we my district was kind of in an interesting position. We were the first district in my area to shut down. So we shut down about a week before everybody else around us. It took us, a, I'm going to say about two or three weeks to cut, get back up and running in regards to distance learning, partially because we were facing a lot of inequities. And so we had to figure out um, how to address the inequities in terms of the digital divide and making sure that everybody had technology and not just that, but actual um, internet access. Um, so that was one of the big obstacles for us. Uh, we we did a, um, I mean, I'm pretty proud of what we did and the fact that we got as much technology out as we could and access as best as we could. And it was a lot of work to transition to online. I like a challenge. So it was a kind of like a fun puzzle or a challenge to figure out. Uh, but the biggest thing I think for me 
with 10 year olds is finding a way, even though you're online and at home to get that social piece in. And so there are a lot of great online platforms that I kind of explored and tested out with them to find ways for them to kind of post videos and interact with each other and have that kind of rigorous academic discussion, even though you're in your house. So that was kind of my biggest thing that I think was a challenge to kind of figure out from home. But it, it was a lot of work, but I really liked trying to figure out fun ways to keep them engaged and um, still kind of thinking and working. Yeah. Alicia, what about you? For me, we, I believe it was March 13th was the last day that I was in physically in school. And mm-hmm. I think that Sunday night, the decision was made that we wouldn't be coming back for, at that point, it was until uh, I think they had threw out May or something. It was, they didn't really know at first. <laughs> and the turnaround time, it was about a week in between where we were just kind of our principles, like just, you know, relax and kind of get your minds around everything that's going on while we come up with our plan. And within that yeah. next week, following week is when we launched the remote learning. And in the beginning, it was, it was hard. It was rough. Like, of course, this is brand new to so many people. And similar to what Corey was saying, just trying to work out the technology piece. We have a lot of parents that were not tech savvy, um, mm-hmm. didn't have those devices in their household, or they have multiple children, you know, having to work out all of those things of how will we make this work for our children in this like weird and crazy time. So it was a lot just to, to manage and get everyone logged in. It probably took them about, about two weeks to officially get Every single one of my students logged in to the Google Classroom. Everyone had their technology. And then from there, it was like, okay, now we can start the small groups, uh, virtual, you know, face-to-face uh, learning and all those things. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a very much hard uh, transition out. It wasn't just like, all right, we got some time off. We can, you know, <laughs> relax. No, it was like all hands on deck. Like, And I took it very serious because... I knew that, you know, it was just an unprecedented time and we didn't know what to expect. So I was like all hands on deck, like getting up at a decent hour, making sure I was like up and ready, had my plan of whatever I was supposed to be teaching. But it took a couple of weeks to really kind of like get a routine going. So, yeah, that's how it uh, how it began for me. All right. And Stan, how about you? All right. So um, it's hard because you're music, I- so it's a little different, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so we had a plan to go to Disney and perform at Disney Springs. And, you know, we were raising money, we were doing fundraisers, and everything was going great. We had, you know, raised about, you know, about 30% of the money that we needed. And it was, it was, it was rising quickly, all of our sales from our fundraisers were going up, we were getting the word out. And then, uh, right before spring break, uh, we, you know, this hit. And, they, they basically announced that we probably weren't going to be coming back from spring break. So all spring break, I'm thinking to myself, are, are we going to just, are we just going to lose out on our opportunity to perform? So we, we did, we did, you know, we ended up having to cancel the trip, but, and a lot of the fifth graders that, you know, were looking forward to it, they won't be able to go. Um, they had, they had to, you know, go on to middle school. Um, but I guess the other side of it is that the fourth graders already have a head start for the money that they need to, you know, have raised to go. It took us about a couple weeks to to get, you know, uh, used to everything. We had to divvy out 
Chromebooks, make sure every single student had a Chromebook. So we didn't have them using their own, their own computers at all. We made sure every single family had a Chromebook. And at the school that I teach, um, there's, there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, students that, you know, have like five kids that go, there's a lot of families that have like five kids that go to the school. So they were sharing yeah. a Chromebook. Um, they were, you know, like passing it, taking turns and doing their work on it. You know, we made, we just made sure that every household had a Chromebook first and some houses didn't have internet connection. So we also provided hotspots to, um, the school didn't provide the hotspots to the district. So you go to the district office and you, they provided hotspots for the families, um, had about 20 gigabytes which is plenty for just doing work, not for streaming anything, <laughs> but it's plenty for doing work. So, so we made sure they all had their technology. We made sure everybody had access to, to get to their Google classrooms and to do the activities first. And, you know, obviously doing that with thousands of kids, it's going to take a little while, you know? So, so that's, that was part of the process in getting ready for this. And then we had to, during that, having meetings with everybody and making your lesson plans and transitioning from like, okay, I'm so used to doing hands-on learning. You know, we play instruments, we sing, we dance, we do those, we do those types of things. So, you know, by me not being there, how am I going to, to, you know, to make it this, make it, you know, at least a little bit the same. Yeah. so that was a difficult thing, but we have a great music team here and we all piggyback off of each other. When one person has an idea, you know, we don't have to be in the same school. It's across the whole district. We all meet together. And this, ha- this happened before this all happened. So we, used, we would come together for breakfasts and share lesson plans, ideas, um, uh, platforms to, to, to use different, uh, different things for resources. So that would, that would be happening all the time. It just happened more frequent, frequently during this time. So we met together virtually through Zoom every Friday with all the music teachers. And we all came up with different ideas and piggybacked off each other. And people came up with a great idea. And we'd be like, yeah. And then they, they literally give you their lesson plan. Like, here it is. You know, it was really, a, it was kind of a really a great time for bonding. You know, people were really, really helping each other out. And that's one good thing that came from this. Like we really, mm-hmm. we really stepped up to the plate and, and made it happen. So it took about two weeks to, for us to get used to it. And then, you know, we started having kids regularly log in and, and you know, try to get as much work done as they could in the middle of, of this situation. So that's, that's kind of how it began. Yeah. I mean, I wonder because it's like, you know, you know you've got your art, you have music, you have gym you know, all of these things that require students to work together, to participate together, like to be on a team together and do all these things. You know, I wonder, you know, in those ways, how that, that was my first question to you was just like, how do they do that? You know, how do you have the music class? Like, do you have, does everybody now switch over to individual music projects where you have to like create something? Or, I mean, how did your, like Stan, how did your lesson plan specifically change? Because it's like, you went from having, being able to, like you said, perform and, and looking forward to a field trip to everybody being virtual, you know? So what does that look like for a music teacher? What does a virtual classroom look like for you? So we had to get really creative. Um, we had to make, uh, we had to have them take uh, common household items and do percussion with them. So get a, get a bowl, get a fork yep. and a spoon, practice this rhythm. So I, I put, you know, this, I, I draw up this rhythm for you on, 
you know, finale or, or something like that and save it and, and post it on Google Classroom, I want you to play this rhythm and you can you can record yourself on Zoom. You can yeah. you can uh, you can play it play the rhythm on on the table. You can play it on on the back of a cup. You can you can you know like kind of experiment with the different sounds that you have and doing things like that. Something else that helped um, was YouTube. Um, YouTube helped a lot. I made I made lessons on YouTube, um, showing them how to. So I would just do like a share screen. And you know, show them how to log in to something like BrainPop. BrainPop has a lot of a lot of resources on it. It even has music lessons. And I just found out about BrainPop last year. I'm so mad at myself because <laughs> I could have I could have had them, you know, getting that extra extra learning. Because this that's another thing. This isn't this wasn't really necessarily new because uh, third grade and up, they were used to using Chromebooks. We use mm -hmm. Chromebooks in the classroom all the time. So, so they would, you know, they would have their, their lab, which, which is just a, a rolly cart with the Chromebooks. They call it a lab. So they would have their lab and they would take it to different classrooms and they would use the Chromebooks for things. Like I said, like brain pop, they um, get on many different uh, software. Uh, there's, there's lots of things for them to use on there. And they would use that for science lessons, for math lessons, for reading. When they were say like the teacher was doing some one-on-one -on -one, doing some centers they would have mm -hmm. a group where some of the students would be on the Chromebook. So a lot of them were used to it already, but but the transition was you're on it the whole time now. You're not yeah. just for not just for a center. So I used lessons on Brain Pop. There was, you know, videos that they had to watch and then they answer questions. Um, and like I said, I had them do uh, activities um, like, you know, using household items for percussion. Singing was good because they didn't have they don't have any instruments, but everybody has a voice. So, yep. you know, on singing songs, I, I utilize just dance a lot. There's a lot of videos on YouTube um, <laughs> of, of, you know, like dance, dance routines. So I had them practice doing just dance. And also on Fridays, we would meet up, have a Zoom meeting with, you know, the grade levels one at a time. And we would have like a dance party. Like I would dance with them. I would I would sing with them. You know, I would do Kahoot with them um, virtually, uh, you know, do some some like fun Kahoots. Like they have all kinds of like jokes and stuff on Kahoot. And, you know, I would be like their host and they'd be answering the questions and I'd be acting crazy and stuff. So <laughs> so it, it you just had to be creative. You had to, you know, make do with what you have. So yeah. that's that's how it worked. Wow, that's that's amazing. And the fact that you're able to pivot like that and, and be creative and change your entire sort of lesson plan to accommodate is is amazing, honestly. Like it's one thing I think people don't really realize about the struggle that you guys have as teachers. It's like everyone just assumes like, oh, okay, like everyone's like, oh, you know, homeschool, mom and dad are doing it. Like, no, teachers still have to teach. Like you still have to transition your entire lesson plan to accommodate mm -hmm. kids learning. And so the question right. I have for all of you guys is, you know, how did you, did you have to alter your grading habits? Because like you said, not everybody had access to the same resources, obviously with, you know, everyone, not everyone had the Chromebook. So it's like, you got to have the right software, you got to have the right programs, you know, did you guys have to make any concessions, you know, in places to accommodate for these kids who may not have had the same resources as everybody else in the class? And like, what does that look like when you're grading? You can just jump in whoever wants to go first. <laughs> well, I, Okay, go ahead. We um we went to we our whole district actually decided to just do pass fail for the end of the year 
partially okay. because of those struggles. Um, yes. Similar to what Stan was saying, we had one Chromebook for each household and some houses had three kids that were trying to do all of their work. So we really couldn't do any type of synchronous learning. It had to all be asynchronous. And um, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the teachers that I work with when we were talking, our biggest concern wasn't in this kind of like crazy random time if the kids were really understanding every single um, standard or concept that we wanted. It was more just that they were mentally okay and safe mm -hmm. and happy. So I, it was a big switch over to just kind of making sure I was available to them so that if they had questions, I could answer those questions and I could give them that feedback on all of their work on Google Classroom. But we did yeah. switch to pass fail just because it really felt that, like I wasn't gonna fail a kid or give them Ds or Cs when I didn't know what type of support they had at home and I didn't know what they were doing their work. Yeah, um, yeah. we went to pass fail and I kind of took it easy on them for that reason because it just, it wasn't the time to be incredibly strict over grades. Yeah. And Alicia, what yes. were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say similarly, um, we did similar uh, as Corey was saying, where we just gave like participation grades. So it wasn't about, all right, you got, you know, 50% out of 100, like, it was just more of your participation of logging in, doing the work, and um, me giving the feedback of, you know, things that they needed to change, or, you know, uh, go back and reread the question, the math question, or if it was a writing mm -hmm. prompt. So yeah, we, we weren't very, like, harsh on, because I know we were in the classroom, and I would be like, um... <laughs> And some of my kids knew. Some of my kids knew. In person, they know uh, we we don't play that. No, redo that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it was more so just like making sure that they were, you know, doing as much work as they could because every every household was different. So yeah. everyone had different support. There I had one student, she was doing everything on her own because her mom was an essential worker. And she mm -hmm. had like an older aunt that was there at her house, but the aunt couldn't really help her with a lot of the, the, the things that we were doing. So, yeah, it wasn't a time to be like, you know, just too hard on the grading system. But, yeah, that's how it was for me. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and for me, yeah, for me, um, first of all, I'm, I'm a general music teacher, so I, I see everybody. I see the entire school. So I had to grade everyone, <laughs> everyone in the entire school. So I have 600 assignments, you know, uh, multiple assignments every, every week that I have to, I'm not, I'm not going through and being like, Hey, um, you missed this question. Uh, -uh. <laughs> not yeah, with 600 assignments, nope. not with, not with <laughs> 600 assignments. So, so what it, what it, and actually we were actually directed to do this because if I had to, I would do that because that's my job, but we were told to do something called grading with grace. That's what they called it. Grading with grace. So, okay. so it's just like um, Alicia and Corey were saying, we don't, under, we don't know what the situation is at home. And especially in elementary school, you know, we're not talking about high schoolers that are we like, hey, get your work done. It's like, you know, there's kindergartners that don't know how to read yet. And now yeah. they have a entirely, you know, virtual and and they have to they have to read now. And yeah. if their parents aren't there to help them, they literally can't do it. You know, and and, you know, it, and some first graders still struggle reading. 
you know, and and even second graders, they shouldn't be, but you know, that's how it is sometimes. So you have you have kids that that are struggling to read that now have to read in order to be successful. And if we graded them the way that you know we ought to, you know, it would have been a very, very rough year for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Now, your question was, how did my grading change? Well, the first thing was was that I have to grade six hundred, you know. 600 kids with multiple assignments now. So how I graded before was you come into music class, I'm, you know, I'm basically grading you on how you perform with our uh, activities and with the music that we perform in the class. So if you, if you got, you basically pass just for trying your best, you know, cause not yeah. everybody's, not everybody's musically talented. So I can't, you know, I can't judge this person by not being able to sight read in third grade when this person can. I can't do that because that's not fair because other people have, you know, better voices. They they have more experience. Those it wouldn't be fair to grade them that way. So what I grade them on is is on if you tried your best and I can, you know, that's that may be something that how can you, you know, how can you um how can you grade that? How can you tell if they're trying their best? You can tell. You you know if somebody's actually putting yeah. effort into the into the assignment or into the activity or if they're not. Mm-hmm. So so if they didn't participate that day, I gave them an N for the day. So so if you got three N's over the course of the the quarter, then you got a U on your on your um interim or on your report card. So that's how I graded. But now you're talking about you know, we have to give them multiple assignments during the day. So I have to grade every single assignment for every kid in the school. And that was wild. <laughs> even, 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 even though I wasn't, you know, really just like, you know, reading every single word that they typed and, and doing it like that, it still was a lot of work. It still was a lot of work. And one thing I forgot to add from earlier, one of the, the activities that I did was I found a website in which um, they can go on it and they can create beats themselves and it's completely free. So, so I had them go and like, you know, kind of be their own producer. So they made their own beats and they would post them in the Google classroom and share it with everybody. And once you shared it, then I gave you a hundred for doing it. So that was, that was a cool thing. I feel like you probably just created a whole generation of like producers off that course, you know what I mean? Like people are like, "Oh, I like making beats." I'm like, "Oh, wait, what's that app? I need that." Like, hold on a minute. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. I want to create little musicians. That was that's. Mm-hmm. I feel like that probably sparked a lot of, of interest in those kids that like maybe wouldn't have otherwise known about that app or known about making beats in general. So like, you probably just inspired an entire you know school of kids about making beats. You know, so that's pretty great. The other question I have for you guys before I get into some of the mental, you know, tax on you guys that it's taking. And before we get into, you know, what's coming forward, group assignments and group projects. Did you guys still have group projects that you had to do or did that change for you guys anyway? It it was, I didn't do, I really didn't try to do group projects towards the end just because it was, I mean, you can see on Google classroom if they're if you're on google slides or on google docs you can pull up the revision history and you can see who's kind of um editing documents and things like that but i didn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. starting a group project from home without me being able to kind of really be there and be hands-on and explain and kind of navigate the 
the, just the like social dynamic piece of a group project. Even with fifth graders, yeah. group projects, I think the, the biggest goal, at least when I give a group project, is that they learn how to cooperate and work as a team. And that's still a struggle in fifth grade. So it, I didn't really attempt it at the end of the year just because I, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable putting that in, putting my kids in that kind of setting without more of my support. Yeah. And Alicia, what about you? Uh, yeah, same, we're saying we didn't do any group projects, but the way I tried to incorporate some like social interaction with my kids is when we had our um, small group meetings, I would put them in the, well, I think it was on Zoom and Ring Central that we use also, where you can put them in little breakout rooms so that they could like talk together. So, oh, cool. and they were used to that in the classroom where we would have like what we call turn and talks or like you work in a certain little group and you would have a conversation or you would try to solve a math problem. So I would do those things where they could go into their breakout rooms and then I, as the host, could go inside the rooms and like, you know, see what they were talking about, what did they come up with, what ideas they had. So that was a way that I tried to like help them to like see each other because they missed each other a lot. And I tried to incorporate that. And then also my school was doing guided reading, which is essentially um, reading a reading curriculum for students where they are, um, you know, increasing their, their, um, their reading skills and all those things. So that was another opportunity for them to be together and see each other. And um, we would have discussion questions about a book that they just read. So that was as far as any kind of group work went for um, my school. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Stan, I already know like yours was, you already kind of went into that a little bit. So <laughs> and yeah. how it works with your grading. So the last question I want to ask before we start to transition into current things for the 2020 school year. I know when I was working and I was working from home, I felt like I was working all day every day. I felt like I was plugged in all day long and like there was no lunch break. You know, there was no turning it off until you went to sleep at night. And it was like, you wake up in the morning, you're checking emails. You know, you go to have breakfast, you're checking emails, you're taking phone calls, you're on Zoom calls, you're on a Google chat first thing in the morning. So for me, I felt like I had a really hard time unplugging and just pulling away from everything. And I almost felt like I was working more when I was working from home than when I was working in the office because it was like, at some point when you leave work, you leave work, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. I'm done. Like I'm done for the day, I'm good. And so the one thing I wanna ask you guys is mentally, how are y'all doing? Because I already know like as teachers, I, one of the professions that I always was like, how do they do that? Cause it's like, you go into school and I remember talking to you about this cause you would be in that school at like five in the morning or something crazy. And so like, I know you go into school and you, you know, you're teaching these kids all day. And then it's like, you get out of school and you got to grade papers or you got to do a lesson plan for the next day, or you got to work on this, or you have to work on that. So a lot of times for teachers, you know, leaving work still, you were still working when you were at home because you were grading papers or doing whatever. And so being as though now you're working from home, were you ever able to sort of unplug? Did you find that you were getting yourself more mentally stressed? Did you find that you were more just <sighs> you know, like, did you ever feel like you could ever unplug from what was going on and, and just take some time mentally to to check in mm -hmm. with yourself and see how you were doing? Like, how were you mentally during this past school year? And uh, I guess I'll start with I'll start with Leash because she looked like she has something to say. Listen, jams, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, it's so it's crazy because 
right around February, I was starting to really feel like I had gotten my myself together more, where I was yeah. feeling mentally better. My routine of, uh, well, I've never, never late for work, but just like getting to work and, you know, do my whole little eat my breakfast, prep the classroom. Like I was getting so much better with those things. And I was literally leaving sometime right when they were like dismissed um, because I was finding it better for me to mentally detach from when I leave work, I'm done. That's it. But yeah. it felt like all those feelings came back that I had felt prior to that came back up again in remote learning because like you're saying, we literally all day from when I say from 830 until sometimes even after four o'clock, I was mm -hmm. online. So it was very hard for me personally, because br first things first, it's brand new for everybody. And it was so many things going on with a lot of my families, like, uh, you know, families getting sick people that have died, uh, my, my kids, like being emotionally, like, you know, just like broken down from this. So I had to take on a lot of different things along with my own mental health. Like I had parents that, and they know me, I had parents from last year when I taught second grade and I taught third grade this past school year. So a lot of the parents were familiar with me and I had parents calling me like after, after four o'clock and I would still answer. And some of them just wanted to talk. Some of them just wanted to confide in me and just like tell me how they were feeling. So I feel, felt like I had to take on a lot of other people's stuff along with my own. And there were times where I would, and I'm not a crier, <laughs> Jamie might know this, but I'm not a crier. But there were times where I just like would have a moment and be like really down and like start crying because it was mentally a lot. And people who are not teachers or friends of mine are like, oh, that was probably easy, right? Working from home. I'm like, no, it's not because you're literally on all day and you're trying to gather up all your kids and make sure this person turned to work. Oh, this one didn't turn in their work. Oh, now I have to follow up. Oh, a parent's calling me. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, I didn't eat breakfast. Like just all these things. Mm. And at one point mm -hmm. I felt like I had gotten a rhythm a little bit, maybe around April. Um, where I kind of develop more of a rhythm, just like, all right, even though I'm in the house, I'm going to make sure that I like create a routine for myself because I was feeling crazy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mentally was just not in a good place for a little bit and being away from my family, like, you know, just making sure that they were okay. And it, it was just a lot to deal with. And yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but it was rough. Yeah. It was very, very rough for me in the beginning um, and a little bit even until the, towards the end. But yeah, it was a lot. Sorry, I had to say all that because clearly I had to get that out. Yep, <laughs> I figured as much. <laughs> Corey, how about you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's well known that teachers are bad at leaving work at work anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And then work came home with you. Over the past few years, I had gotten much better at making sure my weekends were my weekends and then work was at my kitchen table. So I, I mean, it, there were a lot more stresses. There were a lot more worries. I tried to at least force myself not to work on Saturdays because I found that, you know, in April and May, I really was just getting up and working every single day. It was partially because, you know, I wanted to be there for my kids. I wanted to help them when they needed help. 
And that was, I think, where a lot of the worry came in as a teacher. When you have your kids in your room with him, you can look in their eyes, you can see their body language, you can see how they're doing, what they're struggling with, if they're struggling. And so there were a lot of worries for me mm-hmm. that kind of piled up in terms of just how my kids were, because I couldn't see them. I couldn't really have those um, consistent interactions with them. And I knew a bunch of them were just kind of mentally struggling. Uh, so that was a big stress for me was just, you know, not being able to see them know that they're okay. You know, as a teacher, when they're in the room, I, I can give them food, I can give them a pep talk, I can, you know, the things that may not be happening at home. Um, so that was a big stress on top of just kind of like telling myself not to work every moment of the day. Um, <laughs> But it's similar to what Alicia said, I was taking phone calls whenever they happened because parents were just as stressed as the kids were. And, you you know, we take our job seriously. We want to do our job really well. And a part of that is kind of becoming a part of a family for a year. Yeah. Stan, how about you? Well, I already well, know because you had 600 people to grade, so I already know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was um, it, it was it was definitely a challenge. I want to say my biggest challenge was separating um, my my household uh, work from work because they melded together. And, you know, I have two babies. I have a two year old and a 10 month old. So imagine trying to work with with them around the house, (laughs) you you know, so so it was it was different when, you know, you leave and you, you sit in your office, you get your work done. You know, you teach your lessons, you, you make plans, you go to meetings, you check your email, those kinds. Of, you get those things done. But trying to do that when when Bella's like, daddy, daddy, you, you know, like every five minutes, you know, it's, it's, that was a difficult thing. Now, I, I love my babies to death. Um, I, I, I'm one thing that I take away from this is that I was able to be with them every day. So even though it was, you know, it was challenging to try to focus and get my work done, I like, you know, them coming, coming to me because they get, they get to see me now, you know, because usually I go to, you know, I leave around six and I, I get home around six. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, they, they don't see me. So that little bit of time that they got to see me, you know, um, you know, it, they enjoyed it. But now, now I'm home all the time. So, so they've, you know, they've, they've gotten accustomed to that and they enjoy me being there with them. So that is, that's one thing, but I, I share all the same, the same stress level that you guys have shared all those things. It's the same thing over here. Um, but what I did, what I did in the midst of that was, was I tried to focus on the good things. Like, like my, my children can see me every day. Like I don't have to leave, you know, an hour early, you know, I'm already at work all the time. Right. So yep. so um, I don't have to be, you know, like figuring, like forgetting something, rushing out the door, those kinds of things. I'm, I'm here. And, you know, like there's 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 a lot of other you know good things that came with it. But I try to focus, focus on those things rather than than the things that were stressing me out. And that's what helped me get through it. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I remember working from home and be like, Dad, I'm late to the living room, like traffic, man, was bad. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I was just like, all right, this is getting ridiculous. But no, for me, when I was that, I was, I was, I would try to not work in my bedroom. I tried to make that like a, oh, yeah, a no. feel like, you know what? My bedroom is my bedroom. Yeah. When I'm in my bedroom, uh-huh. work stops. There is no work in the bedroom, you know? So that was like mm-hmm. my way of, of trying to, 
I don't know, compartmentalize it all, you know, like, like make it so that it doesn't take over every single thing. So it's like, at least I know if I go in the bedroom, I'm not answering emails. I'm not answering phone calls, like that kind of stuff. Like sometimes it crept in, but for the most part, I tried to just make that one room like my space so that I was like, I knew that that was a space I could go to where it wasn't work. Um, just to try and keep that separation, but it was hard, you know, and it was hard for me as not an educator. So I can only imagine, you know, what you guys went through as educators. So I want to transition now into this upcoming school year and talk a little bit about what the hell is going on because mm-hmm. it's <laughs> some craziness going down. You know, I, I saw online there's a poll that went around an ABC News poll that found that 55% of American parents are against reopening schools for in-person instruction. And only 44% said they'd be willing to send their kids back to school in the fall, despite 59% of them saying they're concerned about their kids falling behind in school. So Mm. overwhelmingly, people are not ready to send their kids back. You know, they're Mm. not comfortable doing it, but they're all concerned that their kids are falling behind. So it's like, you know, how do we how do we fix this? But, you know, the the one thing that that really is is making me angry is this this idea. And I don't want to get political and I refuse to get political, but this idea of Trump sort of forcing schools to open by cutting federal funding, which I think is absolutely, you know, it's just the most criminal thing you can do because you're literally, you're, you're placing a value or placing no value, if you will, on our kids' lives and our teachers' lives. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what your thoughts and concerns are about opening for this school year. You know, if you think the schools that you're in are ready for that and if they've got the provisions necessary, which I don't think any school right now really does, um, and, you know, I want to kind of put it out there to see what your thoughts are and how we move forward. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is some schools I'm finding are offering their kids this this, or offering their parents, I guess, and, and to their children, the families, three different options, which is obviously the remote learning, virtual learning or traditional learning, which is in person and trying to figure out, you know, what people want to do as teachers who are in the classroom. Obviously, you want to be in the classroom because that's your easiest space to teach in. But as teachers, mm-hmm. What is your preference? You know, like, what do you hope happens for the 2021 school year this year in terms of how your school is and what's going on? Like, what are your thoughts about that, basically? As a music teacher, I feel as though this whole situation has, in a way, dwindled my ability to teach music in the way that I want to. So it is it is my desire for everything to go back to normal, but not at the cost of everyone's safety. So I want to go back to school and I want everything to go back, you know, to the way it was. That's my desire. But I also don't want anybody to be put in any danger, especially unnecessarily when we just we just had we just had practice for three months doing distance learning. Um, If that if that is the necessary if that is what's necessary in order to keep everybody safe, we can continue to do that. I don't have an issue with that. But like I said. I would love to be able to go to and perform at Disney. <laughs> I would yeah. I would love to to get my chorus started again. I would love to, you know, start my show choir and start dancing with the kids again. I want to I want to do all these things. But um if if it's going to cost the child their safety, then it's not worth it. So to to you know about what you said about, you know, uh the cutting of funding, what I think is happening is is that, you know, people are starting to realize the importance of school mm-hmm. um, and perhaps it was taken for granted um, before this whole situation happened so now people are realizing like wait a minute not only the teachers uh, teach our kids um, not only do they uh, you know help keep kids off the street and 
you know, help mold them into better people. Not only that, but they also help the economy because they provide a place for, for parents to, to have their kids so that they can go to work so that they, they can put money into the economy. So they're starting to see all the benefits of, of teachers and of schools. And now that they've realized that and they've seen the cost that, you know, it's basically destroyed the economy as it, as it was before. Now they're like, wait a minute, we got to, we got to get these kids back in school because once they get back in school, then the parents get back in the work and they, then they make money. Then they put that money back into the economy and then everything gets rolling again. So I think it's a money move, but um, all money isn't good money. Yeah. It's not, it's not worth, you know, sacrificing uh, people's safety. Now that's a, it's a whole nother discussion on whether or not kids are, are safe because if we, if we implement the right, the right uh, policy, I guess, or you know, the right methods, then I, I think that perhaps we could be safe. And like you said, they have different options. So I don't think all all the kids are going to be in the school anyway. I think most kids are going to be doing virtual learning. So perhaps the ones that decide to come, they will be able to you know, do things like social distance and and wear masks and things like that to to be safe to be safer you know, to be relatively safe than if everybody just came back at once. So yeah. I, the, the question is, is can, can the kids be safe? Can the kids go to school and be safe? If, if they should go back to school, I think that the answer is yes all the way. But how it's done and if they can do it and be safe, I think, is the question that's at hand right now. Um, can we get them in the building and and keep them safe um is yeah. that is that a possibility if the answer is yes then let's go back to school if the answer is maybe then let's not i totally agree with what stanley said i mean we do our jobs best when we're in the room with those kids but it is yeah. really important that everyone's safe and you don't know who has high risk family members, you don't know which teachers are high risk. And one of the things as um, I've been on a committee to kind of evaluate what reopening school would look like, one of the things that was kind of opened up early on is that for our, not just my district, but the whole county, they had estimated that in order to open safely and and hold, come up with protocols and follow those protocols to the best possibility, it would take an additional $1.8 million. So that was kind of the estimate of this is the additional amount of money we would need to make sure everyone's safe, have the sanitizing that's necessary, all of that. For the majority of school districts, there's no additional funding out there right now for that $1.8 million. So it's kind of, we're in a similar position. It's just, you know, if we can't do it safely, or if it's questionably safe we uh, it's not worth these kids lives or their family members lives yeah 100% yeah 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 my school we actually had a town hall meeting on Thursday virtual uh with just the staff of our lower school and we had a chance to actually voice our opinions of what we thought about their their plan so far and similar to what uh Corey and Stan were saying like they, they have a plan of like, you know, more than likely most kids will start off as virtual um, and they have these different, you know, other protocols they're putting in place, hand sanitizing stations and 
putting the kids in smaller cohorts instead of it being me teaching a class of 30, it might be 15. Like, so they have all these things that they want to put in place. But uh, the main thing that kept coming back up when we were in our town hall is our safety and not just ours, like uh, Corey mentioned, family members, the children themselves. And it was something I saw on a press conference maybe a week or so ago. And I think it was Dr. Fauci maybe. And he said, like, we're not going to use our kids as guinea pigs. Like, we're not going to just be like, all right, we're going to put them back in the building and see what happens. Like, no. So, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. It's like, it's just, it's just a no all the way around. And I personally, like, of course, like, you want to be in front of the classroom with your kids and, you know, get, you know, do all the, the, the things that we get to do when we first start off in the beginning of the year. But I want to be safe and I want to be healthy and I want my kids to be safe and healthy. So, you know, you can have a plan in place, of course, but to be like on the safer side, you know, start off as virtual and kind of ease in Um, and I think that is going to be their plan is to start off virtual for everyone so yeah it's it's just strange times (laughs) it is and I mean my my concern is like all right we make all these kids go back to school because schools and districts are scared of not opening because they're going to lose funding and they're already underfunded and so Mm. everybody goes back to school and now a teacher catches coronavirus so now that teacher has to be out for at least two weeks or more. So now we have what a substitute teacher who now is in place to potentially, you know what I mean? Like another body in the in the school. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're, just, you're you're literally just you're discounting the lives of teachers as well because it's like okay, well this teacher's sick. Okay, throw a substitute teacher in there for two weeks. Well now not only are you putting another teacher at risk, you now have interrupted the students learning because substitute teachers can't always pick up the lesson plan that the teacher mm-hmm. the original has put into place because they're just they're substitutes you know they have several hundred people that they have to take care of regularly they don't have the lesson plan knowledge that you know each teacher is going to have based on their own personal classrooms and it's just the fact that they've politicized this so much that they've threatened funding for these schools to me I think is despicable because it's like you literally are just you don't care about anybody's lives you really don't care mm-hmm. and my my issue is that you know I I'm worried about the fact that like, we don't really know much about this virus. I mean, we've had it now for however many months, but it's like every time they put something out, they take it back or they put something new. Remember when it first started, they were like, oh, you don't need to wear a mask. You're not doing anything for wearing a mask. Now it's like, you can't go anywhere without a mask. You know, so Mm -hmm. you're getting conflicting information. They're talking about, oh, kids can't get it or whatever, but you don't really know that information, you know? So the guinea pig thing is really uncomfortable for me. And like, as a, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent, but as a parent, I would be like, yeah, no, y'all not leaving the house. You know, like, I don't care if they have funding, you know, I don't care what they do. I'm not going to put my child's life at risk because, you know, somebody wants to get reelected or they want to look good at the, in the polls. You know, like, it's it shouldn't be a politicized thing. I think that what really needs to be happening is that it needs to be a state slash local slash school-wide decision. You know, what are our numbers looking like in this state? What are our numbers looking like in this county? You know, what are our numbers looking like in general? And then that's how you make your determination of what is best, what's the best course of action for, you know, your area. I think we're like comparing ourselves to Norway and Sweden and Denmark. And it's like, yeah, but they all did it right. (laughs) You know, they all social distance and stayed in the house. Like they closed down like they were supposed to. Their numbers are dwindling. Their numbers are smaller. They're going lower. You know, we're on an uptick. We're getting ready to look at a second wave of this madness and we're talking about reopening schools. Like, why on earth would that even be a conversation? 
So that was what frustrated me and what made me want to have this conversation was like, have we like talked to the teachers about this who have to stand in the classroom and teach the kids who could potentially all, you know, get sick? Like for me, that was what I wanted to have this conversation for was to talk to you guys and, and really discuss, you know, what the concerns are. But I mean, say, say they do open the schools and you guys go back, what kind of measures are you guys going to be able to put in place? I mean, most of the time we already talk about students or teachers having to buy their own supplies and, you know, pay to furnish their own classrooms and whatnot. So now are we expecting you guys to furnish PVC pipe and plastic so you can like separate out and put like barriers up in between kids? Like it gets to the point where it just, it just sounds ridiculous. So, I mean, for, for you guys, if the schools were to open back up, you know, what were, what would you be able to logistically do in your classroom to make sure that your kids are safe and that you are safe at the end of the day? I don't know if you can even answer that question. Well, well, there's, well, there's some, there's, that's something that I was always worried about ever, ever since this started. Um, yeah. Because eventually, you know, we're, we're going to have to come out of our caves, right? Eventually, you know, life is going to have to move on eventually. When you it's know, safe to do so, though. Hope, hope, <laughs> right, right, right. Hopefully, hopefully we don't all just, you know, like, <laughs> hopefully we don't all, you know, bite the dust from this thing. Like, we're, we're, everything is going to have to move on, right? So, yeah. so what, I was, what I was thinking to myself was, man, you know, like, when we start transitioning, what are we going to do? Are they going to have us teaching, um, you know, doing our regular hours teaching and also maintaining an online class? And also, you know, like sanitizing our rooms and also building fortresses to keep kids safe. And so, so, so like, you know, our job description is just going to, you know, like be completely thrown away and that we're just going to have to do everything that they tell us, I guess. I mean, it's just going to be a lot more, a lot more work that we're going to have to do. But I mean, as far as how they're, how they're handling it. I, I think that I think that they've they've done it the right way. They've given people the opportunity to come if they want to. They're not forcing anybody to come back to school. They have given them the opportunity to stay home and do uh, virtual learning if they so choose to. So nobody has to send their kids to school. They can um, stay home and keep their kids, you know, more safe. Now we have to go back to work. That's another story. Um, but they have the option. I really think that, like I said earlier, I think this is a money move. I think it's a money move because the economy is falling right now. You know, you have millions of, of people claiming unemployment every single week. This is, this is unprecedented. This has never been seen in history. You have millions every single week claiming unemployment. There's millions of people that are out of work. So the economy is suffering. So Man, I, I feel like they just have they have dollar signs in their eyes. That's what they see. They don't see, you know, like this this person might, you know, contract the virus and then pass it to their their grandfather and then the grandfather pass away. They don't see that. What they see is the economy is collapsing. So we got to do something about this money. Uh, we we got to we got to get this money. <laughs> that's that's their mindset. So so in order to keep the economy rolling. They're gonna reopen schools so that so that parents have the opportunity to put their kids um, somewhere so that they can go back to work. Now, it's until it's they also, catch the coronavirus and they're out for two weeks and they gotta take off work. For right, two weeks. right, right, right. Dollar <laughs> signs. More. They got. They don't see that. They don't see that. Dollar signs in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. So and and then the the funding 
they're 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 working on a the Heels Act right now, which actually has a part in the bill that gives money to schools. So I think it was like, I don't quote me on this, but it's something like 105 billion or something like that for for schools. I don't. I mean, that probably spreads pretty thin, and that probably wouldn't help that much. But it's it's something, you know. So yeah. So I, I I feel like they're they're trying and they haven't completely neglected us, but there are definitely some things that that can be done better as far as you know opening schools back up and and the procedures that we'll have to follow. I was gonna say my school mentioned in a town hall meeting that within the classroom the kids would not be expected to wear it with the mask um, that they would have them in their little pods oh, as what okay. we call them and you know keep them six, six feet apart and that they can re- uh, remove their mask at that point and I'm like wait so <laughs> we're all in this classroom and you could take the off your mask off. yeah so there was a lot of like kind of uh, pushback on that yeah a lot of a lot of teachers were like confused and I work with little kids so I already like I taught kindergarten before this for I guess two three years I mean, come on. They, I know they couldn't keep them on anyway, but then you're saying, oh, we can, they can take them off. And I'm like, isn't that more of a risk? So, like, they do have, like I said, different plans in place, but that part right there I did, didn't sit well with me. And it's, it's just, that would be just a lot to, to, to manage um, overall, just coming back in off the bat, even with them trying to downsize the classrooms into cohorts and all those things. But the, the, the risk is too much greater. For me, you can't downsize. I mean, we the schools are already like classroom sizes are already massively large because there's not well, enough teachers, and there's not enough space. Yeah. So it's like yeah. kind of now breaking classrooms down into classes of fifteen or less. There's just the resources aren't there for that. You know, like it just doesn't make yeah. sense. Well, the other thing was they were saying that it would be like an ABC schedule. So like. On the yeah. A days, I'm teaching the 15, and then on the B days is when the other 15 comes. So it's like, you know, like this whole rotating thing. And then for me, that still puts on like more risk. Like even though they're they're saying the precaution of the temperature check, you know, asking all these questions, have you done this and this, and this? you know, prior to entering the, entering the building. Like it, to me, it was just this is too much overall. Like we brought up about dismissal because in my school, yeah. the parents come in, they come up to the classroom, and we dismiss yeah. that way. So it was like, okay, how are we supposed to work this out? I don't know who's been where, and you know, it, it's, it's how just do you transition between classes? What do you do for lunch? What about what, getting lockers oh, and books yeah. and all that kind of oh, stuff? No. How does that all, all work? That- dismissal are coming in. <laughs> yeah, they they were cutting that anyway. They had said that lunch would be in the classroom. Any transitions yeah, yeah. that they would have done, they're not they're not doing all of that. It's like mm-hmm. basically they're in that classroom all day. Or they actually talked about shortening the day too. That that was brought up as well. So mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the I think the most at this point, at least in my district, that we would be back in the classroom at all possibly would be something similar, like a hybrid schedule where you know, I've got half my class for the first two days of the week and the other half for the last two. But it is the same. I mean, it's the same deal. It's the same concerns. They'd be eating lunch in the room that I mean, they really would. You still have to keep them six feet apart at their desks. And my school was saying a similar thing to Alicia's, like if they're six feet apart and they're at their desk, they don't have to wear the mask, which really made me nervous. Or the comment was, you know, just put the mask on when when they have a question. And 
most teachers know like that's 24 seven anyway. Like they always have a question. All the time. So, so that kind of stuff, I, it was it was concerning for sure because I think it was just, it, it's unrealistic with little kids for that to yeah. be able to work. But even with the hybrid schedule too, in my head, I'm still the common factor. So even if half the class doesn't see the other half, they still are all interacting with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you could pass it to everybody essentially and not even know it, you know, like that's dangerous. Yeah. And I think that's why, that's why I had to split this conversation into two, because I realized that little kids are a beast of their own in terms of getting them to follow directions and to listen and to not interact with each other. Like, I mean, recess, you know, stuff like that. Like yeah. older kids, you, you can kind of, it's, it's a little bit easier. Little kids is like herding cattle, you know, like you gotta, <laughs> it's hard to, to maintain them, you know, and with adding all these restrictions and regulations, you know, they can't talk to each other or be with each other at lunchtime, like dismissal, you know, it's, it's a lot of added stress. It's just like, it's not worth it right now, unless we can just fully open and everybody go back to school. It's really not worth it because it's, you don't have enough teachers as resources and backups in case things happen. You don't have enough classroom spaces to accommodate smaller classroom sizes. You don't have enough cleaning in general. Like I've, I've heard of teachers who are now implementing cleaning routines into their lesson plan. So it's like you take a five minute right. break and everybody wipes down their desk mm -hmm. with Clorox or you take a five minute break and everybody washes their hands. You know, now you're taking away learning time. There's already talks about, you know, housekeepers having a hard time or custodians having a hard time keeping the building clean regularly. And now you're talking about boosting the amount of cleaning they have to do, which is, you know, it's mm -hmm. there's just so many things and so many variables that I think it's just not worth anybody's lives or the resources to try and reopen right now. We just we're just not ready. And it's people are like you said, Stan, it's a money move. People are seeing the dollar signs more than people's lives. Mm -hmm. That's an issue. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to need so much money. So much. I mean, they put some in the Heels Act, but it's not enough. It's not enough. You're going to have to hire, you know, 10 extra custodians per school. They were they, over the summer. You know what they were doing? They were sanitizing every the whole classroom, like like every single every single square foot of the classroom was sanitized. That's what yeah. they were doing. And, and, you know, how long did it take them to do that? And you're talking about doing that every day? multiple times <laughs> it's much every day and and not not only not only that but you know like you guys were talking about like how are you going to keep them apart when they eat lunch you know like okay they say eat lunch in the classroom okay so how long are they going to stay in the classroom the whole the whole reason why you need to stay apart is because of the droplets right because this this disease is airborne you know like they say it it, it it gets transferred through the droplets that come out of people's mouths so if you're sitting in a classroom for hours you don't think you're going to get <laughs> exposed to somebody else's droplets you know it's yeah. i think i think they're like you know we i think like you said earlier you know like it's it's kind of a a test a test like maybe they're they're just taking a risk because there's a 99% you know a 99% plus survival rate. So they're like, you know, maybe, you know, we'll just, we'll just do it and everything will be all right. It's just, let's, let's just try it. Let's just see what happens. Like, but you can't do that, especially when death is, is a possibility. Even one, one even one death, one death is, is too much. Yeah, so, too high of a percentage. <laughs> so, and, and that's another thing that I was wrestling with, with um, when, when we started this, it was like, okay, People are, they're saying people are dying from this disease. You know, if this is a, if this disease is a death sentence, like, why are we still 
why are we still trying to force education down kids' throats? You know, like, shouldn't we focus on survival? And, you know, it was it, I, it was really bothering me because right after spring break, they're like, all right, we got to start virtual learning right now. And I'm like, wait a minute, aren't people dying? You know, like, yeah. like, yeah. like, shouldn't, shouldn't yeah, we kind of like, should we kind of chill out? And if we're going to do some, if we're going to do something, let's, you know, have classes on how to, you know, survive. Not like let's plug this let's plug this content down their throat right now when they're trying mm -hmm. to to survive. You know, is it yeah. is it is it dangerous or not? Is is the virus dangerous or not? Because if it is, then we got to chill. But if it isn't, then let's you know let's do what we got to do. So yeah. so that's and that's we, what um, that's yeah. We got a question from the audience, um, and you know Brian wants to know if the parents have voiced their concerns. And I, I don't know that the parents have actually been a part of any of this discussion. I mean, I know Alicia, you mm -hmm. said they had a town hall with the, with the staff, I believe. Mm -hmm. But have any has anybody like pulled the parents in these places? Like, do the parents oh, yeah. want the kids to go oh, back yeah. to school? Like, yeah, they had a town hall after the next day. Like, yes, yes, it was Friday, right? Yeah, they had one for the parents yesterday, and they also had sent them a survey, and they actually showed us when they shared the screen the percentage of parents yeah. in the beginning of remote learning who were like okay with you know how things were going and then about this school year so parents definitely have their opinion their uh, opinion of what they want so yeah we'll we'll see how how that goes i'm not sure about everyone else we have so, a, a district facebook group so there was a survey that was put out for our parents um i didn't i don't know that i've seen the exact results of it yet um but in just being part of that parent district Facebook group, I've seen a bunch of kind of comments and thoughts as we've gone through the process of even having these reopening meetings with committees. Um, and when it came out that we were leaning more towards virtual, it seemed like the majority of the opinions being expressed, at least in that group, were that they were grateful that that was the move that was possibly coming, just because I think they are just as concerned about being safe um, I've seen in a lot of different areas in social media, not just my district, a lot of families trying to come up with like school pods. And even if their kids district was going back to full time in the classroom, they were going to keep their kids at home and find a way to do like almost like a homeschooling pod. Um, so I think a lot, at least of the parents in my area were hoping to stay as safe as possible. And they've even if school was going to be back in person, they were going to find ways to keep their kids home. I think I was just like throwing this out there in my in my mind. It just came up like as if they're going to do a combination of both in-person and virtual learning, it would be something like where every class has a Zoom link or something like that. And then it's mm -hmm. like you install a projector screen and the kids who are Zoom learning are, you know, over there on the screen. And then the in-person class, you know, the kids are there in person as well. I mean, that sounds like what they they would possibly be doing if they're looking at opening and giving parents the opportunity, like giving kids the option to not come to school. I mean, that would be the only thing that would make sense to me where it doesn't put an overwhelming burden on the teachers because it's like, you guys don't have to now teach a separate lesson to those kids. They're on a Zoom class inside your classroom. So they're there, they're participating. You know, it's just, it adds a level of, hey, you have to now check the internet kids <laughs> and see what their answers are to the question and see what they're doing in addition to the kids who are in the classroom. I think that's probably one of the only ways that this would work, you know, and just one way to only to minimize some of the resources needed. But I mean, that's just an idea that just popped into my head right now that like I haven't really flushed out all the way, but it, I mean, it sounds semi-feasible. 
like, I don't know. Am I crazy? What do you guys think? No, they have, they have something like that for an option. They have something like that yeah. for an option. Now it's not, it's not like how we see in cartoons sometimes how like there's a computer screen sitting in the kid's seat, you know, with their face yeah. on it. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it is. Yeah. <laughs> we just talk to the computer screen and, you know, they answer questions and, and that's it's something like that, but not really. Um, but also, they have an option where the kids that that don't didn't choose to come to brick and mortar, what they call it, um, yeah. they have a completely different teacher um, that is focused on only the the virtual schools. So they have they will have to hire more teachers. So they will yeah. have a teacher for the virtual school, and then they will have teachers for brick and mortar. So it it, it would cost more money. Um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta spend it if you want to be safe. So, yeah. so that, that they have, they do have something like that though. Like where you have, you know, in the same classroom with the same teacher, like I was saying, putting more work on us where we have to do virtual lessons and, you know, the lesson at the, at the, in the classroom, but it wouldn't be at the same time. Now that's a good idea. We can try that, but you know, there's also technical issues that might come with that, like lag and you know things not working like oh you know and you're losing learning time like oh let me let one of the virtual the virtual students answer the question and then there's like a technical issue like they didn't yeah. hear it you have to repeat you know like those 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 are kinds of They're you know things mute. that right. no, you're on mute you're, I my can't kids you. oh my gosh they, yeah they always put themselves on mute and then, and then yeah. the students wanting to the students want to hear what they have to say, right? So we have to have an audio output to where you know everybody can hear. So you you have to kind of you have to kind of use the smart board and have all the students on the smart board. It, it would it would be a hassle. Um, and our, yeah. our 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 IT our IT guys are already running around at the beginning of the year trying to make sure everybody is straight on their <laughs> their technology. But now, man, mm -hmm. you have to hire five of them. You know, like to make sure because teachers calling, oh, it's not working. Um, can you come to my? And then you know, have like ten teachers calling at the same time. Like, how are you gonna? <laughs> it's a uh, there's a lot of problems. Old school, like when we, I'm I'm showing my age here, but like when we would be in school and they had to bring the VCR in for like movie day. And they, they oh yeah, yeah. on the rolling, oh, yeah. the rolling cart. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I know about that. <laughs> Uh -huh. but, uh, another question from the audience came up <laughs> and they asked, you know, what kind of conversations have people been having about the special education students because of mm -hmm. in-person learning is very important for them. Like it's hard mm -hmm. to do virtual learning with someone who needs special needs. So has any conversation or have you guys been a part of any, you know, town halls where that was mentioned or talked about in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, those kids that need extra attention? Yeah. It, yeah. It was brought up uh, in our town hall uh, meeting with, we had, uh, of course, the staff and a lot of our social, uh, I want to say not social workers, uh, lost my train of thought, the um, <laughs> counselor, therapist. Yeah, it was like the school, yeah, school therapist. Our school therapists had voiced their opinions um, about, you know, they, there were times throughout the day where they would come to my class and get, you know, a couple of students for a group session. And they yeah. were asking about that, like, how is this going to work with like my group sessions as far as like making sure that I'm getting that time in with them. Um, and then they were talking about like, if they, we were to come back, they're in their little office space and they use a lot of like manipulatives and toys and things like that. It's like, okay, so how do I incorporate, how do I not incorporate that now? Cause 
if you're saying we can't, you know, be sharing things and like, how yeah. is this going to work? So that actually was heavy on my mind in the beginning of all of this about my students that have special um, needs um, because I felt like they kind of were kind of like, uh, they weren't forgotten, but it was more so we kind of looped them in with everyone else at first. And then thankfully, uh, my co-teacher who is SPED certified, she was having small groups or individual um, sessions with uh, my students that have IEPs mm -hmm. because it's mandated. Like it's, it's in their IEP, like the services that they need to get. So it's not like you can be like, okay, you know, forget about them. Um, but it yeah. was it was hard because a lot of the things that, you know, we had been doing, like a lot of my kids would get OT, you know, other uh, services they would get, you know, in person that they had to be really creative um, with how to, you know, of course, keep those things going. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I teach in an inclusion room technically. So I have a special ed teacher that pushes in and is in my room every day and co-teaches with me. And he technically was go. I mean, until we were sent home, was going to six different classrooms where he had kids to push in and help. And that was a big thing because we've, we've worked together for years now. So we have a good kind of working relationship and it, things go smoothly. And so um, even in going home, we were kind of constantly connecting and touching base with each other about the kids that have documents in my room. And that was, I think, one of the biggest struggles is just how do you differentiate and provide those accommodations for those kids when you're at home? And I was doing a, a lot of additional stuff on the side just to email those families specifically and send them work that was different than what was on the Google Classroom. Um, but there is, I, that's a big concern. And especially with the kids, like Alicia said, that have other services like speech or occupational mm -hmm. therapy. Um, how do we get those things accomplished from home and make sure that it's actually happening? But it was, I mean, I think it's, it's still a big concern. It's something that at least for me and the teachers that I work with, that we're all constantly trying to kind of figure out and do our best with just because you don't want to have those kids falling behind because a change in format. So it, yeah. it is, I mean, it's just a new challenge and how do you differentiate and provide accommodations from home? 100%. Well, I have just one more question for you guys before I, you know, give you an opportunity to kind of close out any thoughts you may have on this upcoming school year um, and also give your contact information if anybody, maybe parents or folks are listening and would like some more information or would just like to maybe talk, <laughs> even though I'm sure you're probably already inundated with parents needing to talk to you. So the question I want to ask you guys is, you know, with everything coming up in 2020 and 2021, in what ways can parents be supportive to you guys? Like in what ways can parents help you guys make your job easier and can support the things that are happening inside the school? Is there anything that you as a teacher would want uh, parents to know, you know, about, this whole process that can help you potentially for this next school year. Yeah, I, I like to go because um, my my <laughs> battery is my battery is going dead, and I hope it doesn't yes. die before this is over. I want I want all of our parents to know that we want safety for your child, just like you do. Um, we're with your children every day, just like you are. Um, yes. We 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 want the best for your kids as well. We're not out here trying to to hurt your children, so. Because knowing that, be, be understanding that we care for your child as well, and we want the best for them. So work together with us to make that happen. 
because we both want to see your child succeed. You know, we don't we don't get into teaching because we get paid a lot. <laughs> you know, we we don't do this for the paycheck. We do this we do this because we care about your kids and and we want to make a difference in their lives and we we get rewarded um, you know, internally um, for helping them out, for seeing them in the future years down the line, you know, I help that person you know, and now they're successful. That's what I get, not the paycheck. <laughs> I, that's what I get from teaching. So, so understand that we're here for your kids and we're here for you as well. So, you know, don't come at us like we're trying to hurt them. Like it's not, it's not, that's not our intention. We're trying to help. Okay. We're trying to do everything we can for the kids. So, so work together with us to make everything, um, make everything work out so that they can be successful. And most of all, that they can be safe. Excellent. All right, and who wants to go next, Corey? Yes. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's very similar. I think just open communication is the best thing that we can ask for, especially in a situation like this. Knowing that I'm here and that I'm, you know, I'm able to respond to people whenever they need help. But I think that's the that's what's going to help us do our best job for their kids is to just be there. Be, if you have a problem, reach out and let me know. If I'm trying to reach out to parents to respond, just having that kind of constant communication is the best way to make sure everything's going smoothly. And Leach, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I echo the same things that were said, um, that was said. Um, communication ha has been the, the main thing of how we <laughs> were able to get this done. Um, and my parents knew like, you know, they could contact me, you know, within reason, not after <laughs> certain, certain, certain time, but for the most part, yeah. they, you know, had never done that, but they knew that they could call me up if it was seven o'clock and they had a question. Um, and just being mindful on both ends. Like I, as I was mindful about parent scheduling, they were mindful about my time as well. So it was like a two way street. So, um, just wanting to continue that into this next school year, um, of just supporting each other because we're all in need of that at some point. So, you know, just, just keeping that support system going. Well, that is all for the questions that I have for you guys. If there's anything else you guys want to add, let me know. Um, I'm opening up the mic to you guys to just, you know, say whatever you want to say to wrap up the conversation. But I also want to give you each an opportunity to, to throw out your contact information for people to get in touch with you. So um, you guys can each kind of maybe give your closing thoughts on the conversation and then just your, your contact information and we'll go, we'll end it from there. Well, I want to say first, thanks, Jams. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Thank you for, uh, you know, having this open conversation with us. I've learned some things about, you know, things that I didn't know, um, you know, learning from Corey and Stan about, um, you know, things that they were doing with their school and students and things that I might want to carry on into my own, you know, teaching. So that was really helpful to hear from other voices. Um, I started a YouTube page called Revolutionary Readers where I'm doing story time videos. <laughs> so I, I, I guess I could plug that. Um, yeah, and your book and all the stuff you got going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I have a, my book poetry blacklisted. Um, which is sold on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And I actually have some t-shirts. Thank, thank you are finally in uh, production that will be, I'll be selling in connection with my book. So especially now in the time that we're in, it's like, you know, 
really important to get the the word out as far as uh, sharing voices. Um, so yeah, I have had my my book blacklist is still available, and I'm working on a children's book now. Which surprisingly, Yay. I should I should have already. You would have thought that I've already have done it. Uh, working in education for many years now, but officially working on my children's book. My kids actually inspired me this past school year. To, to write it because they love reading about superheroes. They love reading about like kids that look like them. So that's what I'm working on right now. Yes. Awesome. Okay. And uh, Corey, how about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, mostly just thank you for having the, having us here to have the conversation. It's nice to be able to have a platform to discuss all of this. I know it's been stressful for a lot of teachers. So being able to kind of have a conversation about it is always great. Um, I have a teacher Instagram that people can find me on. That's kind of where I post some of my like classroom tips and tricks that I use as well. Um, so that's fanciful fifth. Um, and I can Ooh. respond to messages that way as well. Um, so that's kind of my main way that I've been interacting with other teachers and posting some of the stuff that I do through Instagram. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, I've been kind of, my main kind of focus for right now is the cultural proficiency piece for our district as well, just because of the diversity and the um, current climate for our um, country and how that kind of affects our 10 year olds. So that's yeah. been my big push. And some that some of what I'm working on is just resources and books that other teachers can be using and reading and kind of have as resources as they're looking at how that affects their classroom. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And Stan, I'll give you an opportunity to, to shout out your contact information as well um, and any other uh, information you want to give to the audience. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, you can you can find me on Facebook, Stanley Gavin. Um, there's only two of us. There's me and my dad. Uh, Stanley <laughs> Gavin Sr. is him and I'm Stanley Gavin Jr. You okay. Can, you can find me on YouTube. I have uh, lots of lots of sermons on YouTube and also, you know, me making music and, you know, having fun with my family. YouTube channel is Super Stan 4, The Stanimal, okay? The Stanimal. <laughs> Just type in The Stanimal. You'll, okay. you'll find me. All right. right? But, um, you know, we love you guys. We love your kids like our own kids. And, um, you know, we want the best for them and we want to keep them safe. So that's what it's all about. Safety first and then then we want to educate them we want to give them the knowledge and be give them the opportunity that we didn't have see a lot of people like to to give people the material materialistic things that they never had right we want to give them the jordans we want to give them the video games all the things that we never had but what i want to give students is the knowledge that i never had the opportunity to learn i want to give them the opportunities that i never had in order to to give them the chance to be successful the best way that they possibly can be in ways that I wasn't able to um, because my parents, you know, they, they didn't graduate from college. You know, they didn't, they, they did best and they did a good job and I love them so much. Um, but I want to give my kids and I want to give my students opportunities that I never had. And I want to start them off with, with everything that I know. You ever say to yourself, man, if I know, if I knew then what I know now, so yeah. Have, we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to give them the information that we know now, right now. So they start where we are, and they can know everything that we know, and they can be in the position that we wish that we were in. And that's how you break generational curses, and that's how you build up a community strong and, and that you know is is successful. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, those are my, that's, that's all I wanted to say. I want to take a minute and just say thank you guys so much for being with me for the last hour and a half and talking so openly about what's going on, you know, in your teaching careers and in the schools that you're in. I am, I'm so glad that I have, you know, people around me like you guys that I can call on for these kind of conversations because you guys had just a ton of knowledge and stuff. It was really great. I hope that you guys will be back for part two for this conversation. Um, I would like to have it after we start the 2021 school year and see kind of how things are going and what the, uh, the end result was of all the conversation that we've had. Um, but I, mostly I just want to thank you guys for the hard work that you've put in, you know, throughout your entire teaching career, especially for the 2020 school year, which has been one for the books. I definitely wish you guys all the luck for this upcoming school year. I hope that they make the best possible decision for you guys and that you're able to stay safe uh, and still keep a paycheck at the same time. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened, everybody who uh, dropped off a question for us. Uh, there's going to be a part two to this conversation with the second half of the education system, that's your middle school, high school, and college students, uh, which should be a very interesting conversation as well and how that transfers, uh, how all this stuff transfers to them. Uh, so make sure you're here next Saturday, 12 p.m. live, of course. Again, I want to thank the folks behind the scenes that make the show possible. Um, shout out to the folks that tune in regularly and, and keep us subscribed and, you know, just continue to support me. I really, really appreciate you guys. Also, shameless plug. Uh, we are now on Double Mint Radio as well. So if you're interested in having a podcast, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, stand, um, or you're interested in doing anything like that with a radio station, please feel free to reach out. It's doublemintradio.com. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely just appreciative of, of all the opportunities and, and the chance to sit down and talk with you guys today. So good luck. Keep me posted on what happens with your school year and all that good stuff. Um, I'm, again, just, I thank you on behalf of all the parents in the United States <laughs> for the work that you guys are doing to keep our kids learning in whatever way, shape, or form. Um, and I hope that the 2021 school year is a little less stressful for you guys. Um, but I will be back again folks, with another episode next week. So make sure you stay tuned. Until then, everybody be safe. And uh, we'll see you right back here on WJMS Radio. <laughs> WJMS Radio. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. See, we keep it real. We always gonna keep it real. You can't knock what's real, you know what I'm saying? We telling the truth, man.